podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. had it. You've tried it all. New Year's resolutions, complete diet overhauls, life transformation programs, but none of that has gotten you where you want to go. Forget everything you've ever known about making big, positive shifts in your life. There is a sweeter and simpler way. Valeria interviews April Klein, the author of Small Changes, Profound Results. 25 Simple Tools to Help You Live Your Best Life. April Klein is an author, midwife, workshop leader, and intuitive body worker specializing in trauma resolution, somatic integration, and mother-baby bonding. The belief that guides all of her work is that no one is too damaged to heal and that everyone has the potential to live a healthy, fulfilling, deliciously alive life. April is also the founder and creator of the Birth with Spirit doula certification program, birthwithspirit.com, that trains individuals how to assist birthing people with grounded, whole person support. Meet April Klein at loveaprilkline.com. Here is the interview with April Klein. In your own words, who is April Klein? (laughs) Uh, April Klein is a journey woman. She is on the path and she is behind so many amazing people and ahead of so many amazing people and constantly working to grow and become more herself and pull along those that are behind what an interesting answer, working more toward becoming yourself. What would that be like to become ourselves? I've seen a lot recently people talking about unlearning. And mm-hmm. I think that for me, that more than anything else, right? Yeah. It's uh, growing into humility and understanding that I am. Is enough. Before I ask you specific questions or go through some uh, phrases in your book that I found to be lovely and amazing, your book is titled Small Chains, Profound Results 25 Simple Tools to Help You Live Your Best Life. So, before that, I have these warm up questions, as I mentioned off record. What is life to you, April? Not the meaning of life, but what is life? <laughs> Such simple warm-up questions. <laughs> oh goodness, what is life? Ah, oh, it changes for me what I believe about that. I find 
right now I I am feeling that life is an opportunity to learn how to dissolve into love. I've had a lot of death in my close-in family circle over the last three years. And when my grandfather died, I found that I felt closer to him than I ever had. We were close in this life, but he wasn't gone. He was actually more accessible to me in death. And that was profoundly moving for me. Um, And that was the phrase that came into my head was that we all eventually in one way or another dissolve into love. Mm -hmm. And some of us do it when we die and some of us get better and better at doing it while, while we're still breathing (laughs) in this time and space. But I, that is life. What do you think is the opposite to life or the opposite of life? Stagnation. I teach my clients and my students that nothing in nature is still except dead things. So move, do something. If you're frozen, then you're stopping the flow. You're not in flow. So just do something. It doesn't really matter what. They say, well, I don't know what the right thing is to do. And a lot of them will quote back to me, you know, the parlance of this time is, do the next right thing. And I, and I preach, there's no next right thing. There's just the next thing. Just do something. Uh-huh. I don't really care what. So when you say flow, um, that is movement. Always. Yeah. Always. Um, <laughs> when my daughter was three, she was in a Montessori school and the teacher called me in and said, I, I really need to talk with you about your daughter, because we're having a really hard time with her. She can't seem to get it through her head about inanimate and animate objects. So there's animate objects like animals and people and rivers. And then there's inanimate objects like rocks and trees. And and she can't seem to get it through her head. She keeps insisting that rocks are animate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. uh, I said, well, she can buy that on. (laughs) Right. So I, I don't mean to imply that that things that seem like they're not moving are not moving in nature, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's wonderful. What do you think is the uh, the purpose of the human experience? To dissolve into love. <laughs> it goes back to that. I keep giving you the same answer. Yes, if you had asked me yesterday, I'm not sure I would have said the same thing, but... This it's a work in progress, right? We all are. And the older I get, I'm I'm getting older and really not much matters to me. Things that used to matter so much to me don't matter so much anymore. But that simple resting in flow, resting in uh I it's just love is it's different than I thought it was when I was young. Oh. I know you know <laughs> there's a beauty in knowing when to make the movement my own and when to lay back into the movement that's already happening. And that's a beautiful thing about aging. In a way, it's, it's a renewal that happens that we begin to understand what the experience is all about. And that is, it sounds to me like the opposite of old. Isn't it? We call it maybe instead of aging let's call it wisdoming <laughs> yeah i love that better april wisdoming 
but that's for sure. That's the, I mean, that's a fact to me. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. We see that there's this idea, which is a stagnation from my point of view, of labeling people and things as old, especially people and especially women. <laughs> and this is something that I don't understand. It's really challenging to understand. What would you suggest for some of us who are still living that way under those terms, the rejecting the aging process of the body and trying to keep ourselves young so we are accepted by society and others? Yes. Learn to practice accepting yourself, right? Rather than I just find that I'm never going to be right for everybody else. So the less that I care about that and the more that I care about whether I can lay down at night and sleep soundly, that that's really it. And let your hair go gray. <laughs> it's a really good I go. Well, maybe more now. Four years, four years ago, I just decided to let it go white. I'd been dyeing it since my early 20s when I started to go white. And I just stopped. And it's very white now. And I'll be honest, there are times that it's hard. And... It's really, really good practice for me to notice those times where I'm fighting against it and recalibrate what's really important to me. Yeah, it's fighting nature, isn't it? That's very much it. Oh, that's it, Valeria. That, and as a midwife, I will tell you that when you start trying to mandate to Mother Nature, she does <laughs> not respond. True. <laughs> that is for sure. Yeah. Do you see a difference between shifting, changing, and transforming? Uh, yeah, I actually do. I, I think that it can be addictive to shift and change. We go to Maine every summer to my husband's family's house, and there's a beautiful health food store there with a big bulletin board with all of the local practitioners' cards and flyers and you know everything you can imagine from pranic healing to past life regression to Akashic readings, body work, it's all there. And every year I would go and I would intuitively decide who I was going to go see that that time. And (laughs) a few years back, I stood and looked at the wall and I was like, you know what? I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I just decided to the idea that maybe it was just fine. Mm. And it was a really mind-blowing experience to, (laughs) you know what? I'm good. I don't need to be healed. I don't need to shift. I don't need to change. (laughs) Wow, what a realization. Yeah, letting go of the change was transformative. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that might be that place of knowing, of um, coming to accept life as life itself, just that you are life itself. There's no separation. So that's a profound realization for all of us human beings. It's not fun to have someone to hold hands with and get a new perspective. But there's a difference between fun and need. Mm, Right. It's a big difference. That's, That's right. Yeah. What do you love most about being a woman? That's such a beautiful question. I I love women. I went into birth work because women just continually amaze me. And not to not to disdain men. I think men are amazing too, but for me the ability to 
grow another human in your body is just, it never ceases to amaze me. And then feed that baby if you choose to. And yeah, so for me personally, the most, I think that was the most amazing part of being a woman for me. I had such a disharmonious relationship with my body when I was young. Um, I, I modeled for years and was very, very skinny and was starving myself to be so and, you know, very dysmorphic. When I became pregnant, and I was pretty old when I got pregnant, so at 35, I was pregnant and I remember the first time that my body produced milk and I was, I just started bawling. I was like, oh my God, like my body knows how to do this. I don't have to tell it. I don't have to make it. I don't have to learn it. It just, my body's amazing. And now since then it hasn't gone back. I just find my body always amazing. And, and she loves to go for like trail runs and, and she can, help people feel better in their own bodies. And my hands amaze me. I love my hands. I have big, strong hands. Yeah. And that gray hair. <laughs> Most days I love it. <laughs> and I taste with my mouth. Oh, so many amazing things to taste. Yeah, that's beautiful to hear. It's like music to me. Thank you for being you. <laughs> What is the most challenging aspect about being a woman from your perspective? It's becoming less so as I get older. I find that people pay more attention to my words with the gray hair. And we keep coming back to that. It's weaving through the whole conversation. But that external uh, acknowledgement that I do have a certain age. And I know I'm so conscious of traps that we as women in particular, both sexes, but, but women in particular fall into. For a lot of my life, I would attribute things that I was saying to someone else. Um, I would say, oh, my grandmother said this amazing thing. And it was something I was saying, or I read this in a book, or I heard someone say this, and I don't do that anymore. And I don't say, I, I try to be conscious of saying, I think this, I just say it. Mm -hmm. I don't think it, I know it. Mm, right, right. <laughs> right? I know that this is true in my experience and I don't need to equivocate or make it smaller. So yeah, those I find frustrating. I find the hardest thing as human beings and for women especially is to look back at someplace that we willingly or unwillingly felt it was our only option at the time to sold ourselves short. And I made a vow with myself to do my darndest to become as strong as I could so that I would have less of those times and to try to help others do the same. I feel such a strong sense that we are not heading into an easier time wow. that we'll be called to be stronger and that those of us who are empathetic and tuned in on a different level have historically been uh, the weaker in sort of worldly ways. And I refuse. No. So I want us to be stronger. The world needs more strong empaths, more hearty, good boundaried empaths to show up and hold those spaces. Wow. 
That was a very long answer to a question. <laughs> yeah, a wonderful message. Freedom. What is freedom to you? What is to be free? Oh, uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I just had a session right before we talked and she was saying the same thing. I just don't feel free. And I said, well, what would help you feel free? And she said, less schedule. I said, okay, so let's undo your schedule. <laughs> You already know what you need to do. And she goes, well, I can't. Mm. And so then we had the fun conversation of let's name all of the bars in your cage. And then let's figure out how to deconstruct the cage because the cage is mostly of your making. Like, right. So for me, freedom is more and more accessible, more and more my daily. Yeah, um, less and less concerned about what other people think I need to look like or talk like or think like or those things are a false sense of safety and security. So I think that that's the opposite of freedom is buying into those ideas about what's safe and what's mm, acceptable. Do you ever use the word God? I do. I really find that it's most effective to speak the language of the people that I work with. Uh, and I don't think that it's disingenuous. I think that it's correct and helpful and and honoring to, the, to who they are. So if you, you know, I'll take my cue. If you talk about God, I love God and I will talk all day about God with you. And if you say universe, I will say universe with you. And I love the universe. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't, I don't think that whatever or whoever that is cares one little whit what we call it. I don't think it's even, I don't care what my children call me. And if that's true, then 10 billion times more the other direction, yeah? Yeah. How did you become a writer, April? (laughs) (laughs) I'll share with you the, the little backstory on that that I haven't shared with anyone yet. My dad went through a very long process of dying, as you know, if you read my book, and it was transformative. I was so grateful to him for sharing that with me as hard as it was. And I did not put in the book that there was a time towards the end um, where his very slight self stood in front of the bathroom mirror and he just put his hands on the counter and leaned in and said, oh, well. And it broke my heart. And I knew what he meant. I knew that it meant all of the things that he had wanted to do and didn't do. And I knew that part of that was was me because I was um, born when they were very young and it sort of derailed his plans. And I knew that part of it was just him and being um, a child who had been taught to be good and correct. And he lived by that. He was very driven by correctness. And um, his parents were very larger than life. And uh, I decided at that moment that I was going to write the book that I always had felt inside of me, come hell or high water. I wasn't going to put my hands on the counter when I was dying and say, oh, well. So, And I didn't know what that book was. I just knew it was in there. And this book to me feels kind of like a cork that had to come out. And then (laughs) now I get to write whatever was behind the cork. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that sounds really good to me. Did you set an intention before writing the book and during the process of writing? I did. I wanted to 
take what several of my, I have, I always have an apprentice or two um, who just find me they say, we want to know how to be you. And I say, well, you can't be me, but I'll help you figure out how you can be you. Mm -hmm. One of them was really helpful actually. And she said, as she was shadowing me in sessions, she said, you know, you, you say some of the same things over and over. Are you aware? And I said, you know, I don't really remember what I say. And she said, I'm going to start writing down the things that you say like over and over. And she did. And she gave them to me. And that was the bones for this book. And she said, the thing that makes you so helpful is that you can take these really big ideas and you can make them so simple. You look at people and you say, okay, well, let's do that. And they're like, well, how? And I'm just do it. (laughs) And they do. She's like, they do. Yeah, that's how the book started. Yeah, I love the title, Small Chains, Profound Results. Beautifully said. I think it's really simple. A lot of those big questions that we ask, it might not be easy doing the unlearning process or going through the unlearning. You are an intuitive body worker. What is this exactly, April? Well... I used to think that I had to have my hands on somebody to hear things or for me, it's more kind of set to feel things that the person is feeling. And I'm finding over the last few years that I don't have to have my hands on people. I can just know. So I can talk with you and I can read what your body or I think of it as your body, what your body is saying. And I amplify that. So I'll, I'll say, well, your body's telling me that you want out of this relationship. And they're like, well, I can't leave. And I say, yeah, I understand that. And I want you to know I don't have any vested interest in you staying or leaving in this relationship. All I'm doing is telling you what your body's telling me. And your body's telling me you want to run for the hills. Wow. That wow. you feel like a fox caught in a trap. And usually it comes as a picture like that. And then they'll start crying and they'll say, oh my gosh, I've always felt like a fox or I, or I've always, you know, wanted to be more like, you know, it's always something like that. Yeah. So. And you don't have to see the person and the body itself, let's say. No, no. I have a really hard time. It's an interesting little glitch that I actually have a hard time remembering people, people's faces when they come, um, it takes, it takes energy for me to focus in on their faces. That's not what I'm paying attention to. Let's talk about some of the 25 simple tools that you outline in your book. Some of them are just incredible and I'll get to them. Let me just start from the beginning. I think meditation is really important, uh, important healing work and getting to know ourselves and understanding the inner energies and dynamics. So talk to me about meditation for a moment. Oh, meditation. It really is foundational. You're absolutely correct. People say, what are the, what are the couple of things that I can do to start to move forward quickly? And I want to move. And I say meditate and eat better. Mm, yeah, that too. <laughs> but when you meditate, and you know, this is my thing, right? I don't prescribe to people that they have to meditate for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour or whatever. It's let's just do it for two or three minutes a day. It's it's just the showing up and watching what your mind does on a consistent basis that unlocks that 
magic. I can't tell you, Hilary, how many people have said just a few weeks of two or three minutes a day consist. And they're like, I've never done anything every single day for three weeks before in my entire life. And that in itself is profoundly changing, right? Just to show up for yourself every day. So yeah. And, and you'll want to feed yourself better food as you start to know yourself in a different way. And then when you do that, then it just becomes a really delicious, positive feedback loop because you want to know yourself more and then you're getting better messages from your body because she feels like she's more nourished and that you care about her more. So now she's telling you lovely things instead of I'm starving to death down here or you only feed me garbage or you know, I, I'm laughing. I, yeah, I hear that message from bodies a lot. I never have what I need. Question about food. It really affects the mind and thoughts and how it's amazing how it does. So I'm wondering if you have a, a specific kind of method or kind of, um, let's say, diets, like being a vegetarian might be better than eating meat. Yes, I think that different bodies are different. And I think that different bodies are different at different times in their life as well. Right. And this idea that we should all prescribe to a specific diet, I find to actually, it feels a little stagnant yeah. to me to go back to that conversation. Yeah. It's so much more dynamic than that. And so for me, I, I run a program, a 28 day program that strips it all down so that you can really hear your body cleanly and clearly. And it's for that reason, so that you start to know how to listen to your body and know what, what it needs. What does she really want when she's telling you she wants that glass of wine on Friday night? What does she really want? She wants to feel like you appreciate the fact that she just got you through a heck of a week. She wants to hear you say thank you and you deserve to to go and lay down in the hammock under the stars and relax for an hour. She, she doesn't really necessarily need that glass of wine to feel that, right? I like the way you speak of the body and um, she <laughs> pronoun. I, yeah, I think of these as toddlers. I do all the time. And I teach my people to think of their bodies like toddlers. And and I ask them, do you have a toddler that you've known and loved? And most people have. And and I say, would you ever, would you ever say to your toddler, go drink some some depressants and and veg out on some crappy TV for a couple of hours? No, you would never. You'd say, let's get down with the crayons and make something, or let's go get our money down by the creek, or let's go, let's go play. You know, let's go throw the ball around, or. Let's go for a hike. You know, these are things that we do with people that we love. And we don't do those things with our bodies. I do now, finally. <laughs> yeah. And the rewards are great. <laughs> and that makes me wonder if it's possible to navigate this reality without beliefs. Do you think it's possible? I think it's a lovely idea. <laughs> yeah, I like that too a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's, it's a worthy challenge. Yeah. yeah. What would that be like? More in wonder. Yeah. In... I love to right? those flashes of just breathless in-betweenness, right? Yeah. Where you just, that's the experience. 
that everybody talks about. And once you've had that experience once, you're not the same. (laughs) You say the title is Three Powerful Little Words, The Key to Navigating the Most Difficult Situations. Those words are, it doesn't matter. (laughs) I know it sounds like it's in a way cruel, but funny at the same time. So my question is, how did you learn? I read this section in your book, so I know already, but I have to ask the question. (laughs) How did you learn the power of these words? Right. It does sound very cruel um, when you first hear it, I think. It did to me, right? I feel like this was a gift that I was given from mm, someone who loves me, who's not here in this time and space, the way we understand it, but it has been the most freeing thing for me to step more and more into this idea that really, truly, most of what I think matters a whole lot doesn't matter at all. And it came to me in response to my younger daughter, who had some sort of physical problem that we were never able to get a clear diagnosis of. But she would, you know, she would go into these fits basically where she would just stop breathing, like just stop. And I would throw her in the car and rush her to the hospital and we'd get there and her pulse ox would be in the 60s, you know, heading towards death and could get no clarity on it. And, um, One of those times was the worst one yet. And she was in the tub at the time and she was very, she was big at the, at that point and slippery. And we were trying to like get her in the car and I was trying to get her to the hospital and she was in the seat next to me and she's blue and she, her eyes kept rolling back in her head and I could see her slipping away and I would slap her with my hand and I would say, stay with me. And the clarity, there was just, how do I even do it was it was like coming up from underwater if you've been held underwater too long it was like bursting up into clear air and grabbing a huge breath into your lungs that are just hot and exploding and it was it doesn't matter and i had i had to grasp at that concept and it i didn't want to hear it <laughs> But the profundity of it washed over me and I realized it really doesn't. It would suck. It would be horribly devastating to lose my daughter. Horrible. And it would take me, I'm sure, a a long while to make any kind of peace with it. I've worked with people who have lost children. Goodness gracious, that is a hard one to come back from. But I would. And I would go on and I would find a way to go on and to grow. And because of how I'm built, I'd find some way to learn from it and share about it. And what I, it, it would suck, but it ultimately doesn't matter. She would be fine wherever she went on to. And I would be fine here eventually. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, so the freedom that comes from that, I mean... I've studied all all of those schools of thought about attachment and how it's the cage, right? And I never understood it until I was given the gift of it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter is for me the key to not attaching. 
it feels like you're able to do that. Love unconditionally. It is a kind of unconditional love for life and everything in it. So weird dichotomy that I when I don't care, when I when it doesn't matter to me, I can love you absolutely. I can absolutely adore you and I couldn't do that before because I was all caught up in what mattered to me. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, I love this, what you said here, you wrote in your book, we are never in control of most things. Never. We love to tell ourselves we are. <laughs> and we do love doing that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have so little control that we might as well just surrender, right? It's not a giving up. It's surrender. I guess this one too, the 17, uh, deep listening, like medicine for the soul. And you say here about sitting with women while they are giving birth has been my best teacher in the art of deep listening. Beautifully written. Talk to me about listening, April. Well, just listening to you read this, <laughs> I um, We are just called to hear each other on a different level than most of us spend time listening. You know, there's, there's nothing as healing. It is medicine to really feel heard um, without somebody caring, without, being the, without them being caught up in, in what they want, to just hear you and, and to look you in the eye and say, I hear you. I hear that. That was a lot for you. That's my favorite phrase. I find myself saying that phrase all the time. Wow. And I say this with babies that I work with and they, they're little, they're just like little bricks when they come in the door because their births are traumatic and their parents are all wired. And I say, tell me your birth story. And they'll start acting it out. They'll start going through all of the motions of their birth. And I'll say, oh, you got stuck in her left hip right there, didn't you? And the mom's crying now. She's like, oh, my God, he did get stuck. And, and I say, yeah, he's showing me. And, and then the baby goes through the whole thing. And, and I say, wow, that was a lot for you right there, wasn't it? And then they just melt. They just want to be seen. And they want to know that you heard, that, that you know that, yes, that was a lot. And that you did your best. The other one I would like to is, which I'd like to understand more on how to do this. What do you say is what you get? Your words are more powerful than you think. <laughs> so true, isn't it? Yes. So tell me how you, how have you gotten better? How have, what have you done to get better at that? I guess everything comes from awareness, just becoming more aware of the effects of the words when I use them. And I'm very careful and I listen to everything, body language, my own and other people around me. And I see when I say beautiful, loving words, the other human being is just changed the way they even move the body. It's so different than the opposite, the other way around. Also, the intention not to hurt that's such an interesting comment to me. I have been thinking about this one a lot because there have been many times where I, I would feel called to say something to someone that seemed cruel, the same way that it doesn't matter seemed cruel to me at first. But to not have said it, I feel would have been more karmically cruel. Mm. So wow. it's interesting. 
interesting, isn't it, for us to think that we know what's harmful and what's helpful. <laughs> yeah, that's another one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, that's a new area for me to explore for sure. I've been there just a little lately. Um, so the question, <laughs> the question on the <laughs> is how to use words purposefully and with good intention. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that meditation has been the a really good teacher of that for me. Um, no, because it helps me notice patterns in the ways that I think and the ways that I box things together or separate them. That's a really it's a it's a good one. How do you learn to be aware? I don't know. I feel like with my students, if I point it out to them, I will notice that they start catching themselves. So here's a fun one. I had a session with someone last week and she said that she's been practicing an abundance meditation, like a visualization where she imagines people handing her $100 bills, just like shoving them into her arms and like filling her house with money. And so she's been practicing this. And then she turned around and started telling us about how she's in a divorce and they're gonna, she's gonna have to buy her ex-husband out to have the house. And she has a client who has so much money that she basically said, Well, I'll just give you the two hundred thousand dollars so that you can buy your house. You need to have your house. And she, of course, said, No, thank you. And I said, So you're literally practicing a meditation, a, a visualization where people hand you money and then when the universe constructs this whole thing so that someone can hand you money, you say no thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she goes, Oh my God. And then she started rattling off like three or four other times that similar things had happened and she had said, No, thank you. And yeah, I find the universe really likes clarity yeah. and consistency. You don't mention the word law of attraction, I guess, here. I guess you talk in your book, Ask and You Shall Receive. So that one is really fun for me because it's so steep to. Christian heritage, right? This idea of asking, we shall receive. It, it was just woven through my early years of, of learning. And I had it, I think, backwards in meditating on that idea and thinking about the law of attraction and understanding that we can ask one thing, but there may be a deeper ask that we're not even tuned into that we're putting out there. And that is the one that's being responded to, right? Not the one that we're verbalizing. But what washed over me about the ask and you shall receive is that the two don't necessarily, it's not a tit for tat. It's not a, I want a new car and a new car shows up in my driveway. Mm -hmm. That's not the way that I experience that law. (laughs) The way that I have started to experience that law and that has been so heart opening and enriching for me has been to just realize that that is another way of saying we always live in flow, that everything moves in and out all of the time. And we ask, we ask for everything that we need and we are given everything that we need. And it doesn't always equal exactly the way that we think that it should. But the more time and energy that we put into lovingly being open. I call it an asking space and a receiving space. The more that we cultivate those spaces in ourselves, the more that we acknowledge what's already flowing into those spaces, the more the flow loves to come in and out. 
There's so many. They're very interesting. I love the 18th one. Also, practice good mental health. Also, the 14th, whomever or whatever is most unlovable needs the most love. This is a good observation. So I have these questions for you. I, th- I think three or four more. Before that, is there something else that w- you'd like to add? Maybe your favorite tool, simple tool. I actually would love to just read a paragraph from that same 13th chapter, if that's okay. Yes, yes, of course. And the most beautiful outcome of internalizing this little phrase is that I have found I can actually go deeper. When I practice the truth of it doesn't matter, I can show up fully in situations where in the past I would have had to protect myself, keep a part of myself separate, or have not even been able to be in some situations at all because they were just too difficult to manage. So that's really my goal. I don't ever want to not be able to be present because I can't handle it. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? To feel in the flow, to feel simple and present and able to move with whatever's happening around me and maybe even feel a little bit of agency in adding to it. If you knew you would lose the body soon, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? No. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) That's a bold board moment right there, Valeria. (laughs) I do exactly what I'm doing, just more of it. (laughs) That's a great answer. (laughs) And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? That I think that I know things about life. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about it. (laughs) I know that for sure, that I'm pretty darn sure I know some things. (laughs) That I probably have most of it wrong. And that if I am ever out of sorts, all I have to do is go out in nature and I'm at rights again. It has been a, the word that comes to heart is opening and it feels freeing. So thank you for making this piece of life here, feeling more free. So that was the inspiration. I really appreciate your um It's not even wisdom to me anymore, the way you have expressed yourself. It's really life itself. So thank you for your presence. Thank you for all of the beautiful work you are doing too. Thank you. And I have one more question, but this is a technical one. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Everything is at loveaprilkline.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, April, and we'll talk soon. Okay, take good care. You too. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Klein and her work, please visit loveaprilkline.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.